Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Cole Chestnut, and he is a craftsman, construction manager, and consultant. He started as a carpenter about 25 years ago and worked his way up the ranks. He has started a few small businesses and most recently a local handyman company near Seattle. Cole, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Lance. And you nice even got, yeah, you even got your shirt on, Agile uh, Remodeling yeah. Handyman. I follow your stuff on LinkedIn. Everybody should go follow oh, his yeah. page and stuff on LinkedIn. He does these amazing little videos. Um, and by little, I just mean they're, they're short, but they're yeah, so they're, they're low effort. Yeah, and entertaining. Super entertaining <laughs> okay. stuff. Uh, people just love to watch that kind of, uh, you know, craftsmanship that people, I think is kind of a, a skill that uh, is just not prevalent anymore, uh, you know, as, as far as uh, a lot of people having it. So uh, good stuff, Cole. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, I, was, I was kind of, um, when I started the company, it was actually before the pandemic. So I think about exactly two years ago. And I was kind of, I was going to call it agile remodeling and not going to use the handyman word at all. Because to me, it's always been kind of a bad word. Or mm-hmm. a, has negative connotations, you know. It's like, like uh, somebody who's maybe got a beat up pickup truck and a few tools and uh, you know a case of beer in the back all the time and that kind of thing. Uh, but just looking around on the internet, I saw there's a lot of people who do brand themselves as handymen, and uh, there's some that sell courses and things. And I never bought one, but I did, you know, read their promos. And uh, one of them mentioned the. Um, how Google keywords work and so on. And uh, Google, Handyman is one that gets searched for often and it's a low cost, you know, pay-per-click type thing. Mm-hmm. So that kind of drove my decision to add the word handyman to the business. So agile remodeling handyman. It's working for you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. L- let's, let's peel back the onion a little bit. Why don't you t- mm. t- tell me like, where did you, where did you start your entrepreneurial journey? I, I know you're a free market, Liberty freedom guy like myself. You believe in individualism um, and, and meritocracy. Did you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Did you grow up poor? Like what led you to that? And I, I know you also, I also want to get into at some point, like your experiences in Russia. I, I know you have some oh, yeah. experiences over there. Yeah. Yeah. I speak a little bit of Russian, uh, kind of a long story how I got there, but uh, I'll give you the short version. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I grew up poor. I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to starve in America. There was always a food bank or something. So I wasn't necessarily hungry, but in, in a figurative sense, you know, I think that hunger, just the necessity of, well, if I don't provide for myself, uh, you know, I'd, nothing against people taking government benefits and things, but I, I, I just would like to do more, you know, that's all. So, um, yeah, I, I started out as a carpenter. I think my first job as an adult was, I had a bunch of jobs when I was a kid. You know, my mom had a, like a house cleaning kind of thing. I think it was under the table business, you know, but I'd work with her and she'd pay me a bit and, uh, had a bunch of little things, you know, fixing up things like bicycles, junk bicycles, you know, putting them together from parts and selling them to other kids. Um, the little hustles of like selling gum and candy at school and it's not allowed. And, you know, just all those kind of little things when I was a kid. I never really thought of it as entrepreneurial. I'm not even sure I knew, even knew that word until I was in my 20s. But uh, yeah, my first job as an adult, I was kind of like a lot attendant, you know, at a car dealership. Just cleaning cars, running errands, stuff like that. And uh, I got kind of bored with it. I, I didn't really, just something I stumbled into, you know, it was like, hey, I'll apply for this job and 
first job you apply for, they give you. So you take it, you know. Uh, I got kind of bored with it, and I was asking around, and uh, one of my best friend's family uh, was running a, at the time, it was just a couple framing crews. So I joined them when I was 18, and uh, I worked for them for like seven years. Oh, wow. And they grew from, yeah, they grew really fast from having two framing crews to starting to do siding. And um, by the time I left, yeah, about seven years later, they were doing, you know, full-on development and some remodels and stuff. And yeah, I went from there to a remodeling company about four years. Uh, and then I think I'm kind of old. So I started in the nineties, <laughs> <laughs> which was, which was a boom time, you know, lots, lots of opportunities, lots of room for growth. And uh, was it about 2008? I think I took a new job uh, with a design build firm and I worked there for about a year and I, I didn't get laid off, but I could tell it was coming. Mm. <laughs> you know, the, the, the next project in the pipeline got canceled or delayed. And, and so I started searching around and um, I was emailing a few friends that I'd worked with in previous companies. And I'm not a super outgoing guy. I'm kind of introverted, but you know, you make connections with some people and get their phone numbers and emails once in a while and uh, hang out outside of work. And uh, so I emailed people and, uh, one of my friends called me one night, I think it was like a Friday night and I was just hanging out with some, some friends at my house and just start to drink beer and it was a little bit noisy and my friend calls and he says, Hey, uh, I'm over here working on, I thought he said the Falkland islands. And all I could remember of the Falkland islands was when I was a kid, it's like South America, there was some invasion there with the, the British and I don't know, it was Chile or something. But anyway, I thought it was a tropical island. So I was like, Hey, cool. I'm going to go to the tropics. And it turned out he was saying Sakhalin Island which is like off the East coast of Russia. It's considered oh Siberia, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, I, I just kind of stumbled into that and um, yeah, it was, it was odd. When I was a kid, I had actually had a book of Russian language. I was really curious, you know, when I was a kid in the eighties, it was still, you know, Reagan and, yeah. and Bush and, and the cold war and all this stuff. So I was always curious about like the iron curtain and, uh, you know, reading about like missionaries and, my mom actually had this book of Russian language. And so I had read it. Like I knew the alphabet. I knew basic words. I couldn't speak very well, but I could sort of read and understand a bit, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that didn't really get me into the job, but it, it got me some, you know, quick camaraderie with the guys on site, you know, coming out, stumbling through and trying to say, Privyat, Privyat, Tavarish, you know, and just like try to uh, learn my Russian accent and stuff. What, 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 was, your, uh, what was your favorite experience? over there working and how long do you how long do you work over there i was there for a year and then um i actually was just going to go for a few months they they were doing actually like production framing actually strangely enough and uh i think a lot of the the local crew there or the the carpenters that they had were quite competent carpenters but they're more old world you know in terms of you know hammers and hand saws rather than nail guns and skill saws you know so a lot of it had to do with um training uh, for more for productivity than than quality, you know, because oh, framing really? can be a little lower quality than you know, say mm -hmm. building furniture like a carpenter might want to do. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of it was, uh, I, I'm a decent writer. I mean, I don't have very good grammar or anything, but I I, I will write the technical documents. You know, a job hazard analysis. You know, steps and um, action steps and mitigations for safety and stuff like that. And yeah, I thought I'd be there for a couple months, and it turned out to like a four year gig with this company. They they had me work in, um, where was next? Yeah, I worked in Russia for a year. And then I worked out, out kind of Las Vegas, um, California border on a 
solar energy plant for a year. And then they sent me to Papua New Guinea for two years. And I ended up running a company over there with like 200 people. And uh, it was just nuts, just like a whirlwind of pressure, you know, but it caught, uh, for, kind of forced me to grow and uh, learn a lot more and, and realize that I don't really want to run a company with 200 people. You know, somewhere in the happy medium would be good. But Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Let's talk about that uh, kind of transition. So uh, I didn't realize that you worked for a company. You had that, like that the that you had this seven year stint with one company you talked about at the beginning, and then the four yeah. year, and now this one. But now you're now you're doing your own thing. So yeah. maybe talk about you know the big differences maybe that you see positive negative of working for one company versus job hopping, and 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 also then going off on your own endeavors like you're doing now with your handyman business. Oh sure. Yeah, as far as, you know, the handyman business is like, obviously, I'm doing everything. Uh, so that's, that's really challenging. Um, I, I really like the freedom of it. Um, not that you can just take all the time off in the world. I mean, I have to earn money. Right. But living near, a, you know, Seattle is kind of a major metropolitan city. And the cost of living here is high. So the wages are pretty high. And if I live frugally, then I can do well. And uh, yeah, I've, I found like, well, previously I had a company for I think almost four years with three employees. I was actually trying to do new construction, but I just, I had a hard time breaking into it. And so we sort of pivoted and did remodeling. And then uh, one of the guys died in a car wreck and uh, one retired. He was like 63 and he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I just started getting stressed out and I took a mm -hmm. job for a company for a few months. And then I, I couldn't handle that. I just, I was spoiled from, it's hard to describe, but from, from being able to do everything and being able to direct my own, my own way to sort of having to settle down into like attending meetings, you know? Uh, so I didn't do that for very long, just finished the project. And then that's when I started the remodeling or the, excuse me, the handyman business um, that I intended to be a remodeling business, but I've honestly been working by myself now for two years. Um, and I work as a consultant as well for some of the companies that I used to work for. So my strategy with the handyman thing was to have some freedom and flexibility that I'm never booked out very far. I mean, even right now, I think I have my schedules full this week and a few days next week, but by next week, it'll be full for another week and a half. So it's always like one, two weeks. Um, and if I, if I need to, I can reschedule things or I can, I can budget a few hours a day to do consulting. I do some of it online, you know, filling out reports and tidying up proposals and things like that for companies. And, uh, yeah, so I've been, I've been sticking with it, but, um, yeah, this past year has been really weird, of course, but I was in a good position having this handyman thing. Cause if with, I don't know how this works, but, uh, with COVID and whatever, you know, this pandemic and all this, especially around Seattle, I think it started here and uh, people here tend to be more progressive. So the, I think just as like a, in terms of resisting Trump or whatever, they're like, you know, super paranoid about COVID, yeah. uh, which I think it's a, it's a real thing. It's a concern, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm careful with, you know, customers and so on, but uh, I, anyway, a lot of the businesses shut down here. So like people weren't answering the phones and my phone was blowing up. I mean, even, even now in the past month, I sat down and looked, sorry, I'm getting off topic. Not no, no, you're good. Question. Keep going. I love but, teeing you up. Yeah, I sat down and looked, and uh, between between emails and text messages and, and phone calls, I've been mm -hmm. getting, over the past few weeks, about 100 opportunities a week, which, 
I'm a one man show, you know, occasionally I have help or I do have a general contractor license, but, but then again, there's not that many subcontractors right now who are especially not available on short notice. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it just, it's blown up. So I've been learning more about marketing. It's sort of rough guerrilla marketing, you know, my, my videos. Um, yeah, but <laughs> sorry, I, I got How off track, you- but I, Two questions then that come up mm-hmm. while we're to maybe steer you back to where wherever the track is. And honestly, it doesn't. It, this is supposed to be kind of the fun conversation, so you're, you're, you're doing fine. <laughs> uh, one would be with your Austrian economics kind of background, is, as far as understanding boom and bust cycles, right? And, oh, and right. For, for me, you know, I've been predicting on the podcast uh, since we started in 2017 that there was going to be a big bust in 2020 yeah. because I believe in about a seven-year cycle. That's where I'm mm-hmm. at. And in Colorado, we saw it come out in 2013. Uh, we started to come out of it. And then it was like, okay, 2020, like, here we go. Um, and, and, and it was, but in a weird way with this pandemic. The other thing that, but did you, did were you surprised about, I mean, was it just completely mind blowing to you that the, you were getting that many calls and that actually business, your business in particular was thriving when it didn't seem like it should have been? Um, well, I, I kind of fell for the for the two weeks, you know. If, if we shut down for two weeks, then we'll be back to normal. Yeah. And so and so so I did that, and then and then I was like, well, I'll, I'll wait another week, and then I was like, screw it, I'm getting back to work. You yeah. Know? And I take the precautions and so on, especially if a customer is especially concerned. Sure. But um, yeah, I was a little bit surprised about it, but in hindsight, it, it you know, I didn't see it coming, but it made sense. And and uh, when I got into uh, economics was probably around the 2008, 2009 uh, thing. And then after that, I started following some things, you know, there was like, uh, what was that? Occupy Wall Street and stuff. And mm-hmm. I wasn't involved in any of it, but uh, you'd read on the internet and go down different tangents of different, you know, economic schools and uh, schools of thought, I suppose. Um, so I, I do think there's something predictable to the, the business cycle and recession mm-hmm. cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, although what, what throws it out of whack, of course, is monetary inflation. Right. <laughs> you know, if you double the money supply in a year, well, I think it's actually like twenty five percent more. We, or something, and, but, and, right, yeah. and we're we're oh, it's, it's more, and we're, now we're on oh. this like amazing. We're kind of drunk. I feel like we're drunk. We're on a we're partying and we're just hammered yeah. right now. And then in twenty, my prediction is twenty twenty four. The hangover is going to set in. It's like oh, here we go, big trouble. I mean, at some point, yeah, you're get hung over. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like a um, a lot of it is sort of just delaying the pain. You know, mm-hmm. it's like taking painkillers, but but not really addressing the root cause of the, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's getting out the symptoms, but not the root cause of the disease, sort of. Yeah, 100%. Tell us about your marketing. Uh, so how did you get your first clients? Once you decided that hey, I'm going back to work or or even before that, when you started the business? Um, oh, yeah. Was it yeah, just word? Was it just word of mouth or? Yeah. I mean, I've been, shoot, now it's almost, almost 25 years. So uh, I know a lot of people around here around Seattle. And, um, you know, just a few phone calls, I can pick up a job pretty easy. But uh, like I said, I, I was I was like, finally, I'm going to start my own license and bonded and insured company. Because I'd had lots of side hustles in the past with like weekend projects and uh, helping out other businesses. Um, and then I, I got into uh, remodeling my own house. I bought a house that was almost 100 years old. And uh, it was kind of the dump of the neighborhood, you know, the eyesore. Yep. And I uh, was fixing up that house. And uh, all the neighbors around were, were seeing it. So right, right away, I got people interested, you know, in my neighborhood. And so I just, again, sort of things just come together. And I said, well, 
I better start a company. And I know people, I know a few people I wanted to hire and yeah, just, it, it started real fast. Well then the first time I started was uh, 2014. And I think I hired a couple guys uh, within like two months and yeah, you know, we were, we were doing good, like right, right away, hired an admin like a couple months later because I couldn't keep up with the admin of having employees. That's another, one of the, one of the most surprising things to me was having, having come up and been, you know, everything from labor to like operations manager and construction companies. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I knew the business, but I didn't know about sort of the, the behind the scenes or the stuff that's being done outside the business. You know, um, I certainly didn't know enough about sales. Uh, or marketing or anything. Uh, but yeah, I, I still don't know a lot, but I, I learned a lot on the internet. I watch YouTube videos about it and uh, picked up a few books. Uh, Would you recommend, give us some that you'd recommend to people. And because one of your notes here, you say like developing entrepreneurial skills versus being a natural entrepreneur. And I'm not sure if there is a natural entrepreneur, maybe. Sure. Um, but I think a lot of it is hands-on learning. Like you just dive into it. Do you have any, do you have any resources you'd recommend for listeners? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a pretty good, um, another podcast they call sweaty startup. Uh, that's, that's been going for the past few years and I've learned a lot from them about sort of guerrilla marketing and, uh, you know, how, how to get customers on a low budget and that sort of thing. Cause right now, right. Uh, since I think I stopped advertising in February, cause like I said, I just get too many calls, uh, which no- normally I'd say you want to advertise all the time if you have a company and people to support or you're trying to grow the company. But mm-hmm. Like I'm sort of trying to s- just be a one man show so that I have that flexibility to also do consulting when those gigs come up. But uh, yeah, I've, I've learned from other guys like the power of video and I've, I'm sort of an introverted and uh, I, at first I was really camera shy like two or three years ago when I first got a GoPro, yeah, it was about two years ago, I turned it on myself in a room and and, and like immediately started sweating and Whoa. stuttering. Yeah. And, huh. and I was like, that's really weird. So yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know, just, just, just this fear of like, I'm recording this video and, 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 and if I put it out on the internet, like all these people could see it. Yeah. I don't know. But I just, uh, I kind of resolved to, I don't think my videos are that great, but they're, they're improving. I kind of resolved to make a hundred crappy videos and just, just to try to make them in like a year. So that would be about two every week. Mm-hmm. And so I just started doing that and just trying different things. And initially it was like, well, I'm just going to show like not my face and not talk very much, you know, yeah. just kind of show where I'm at and what I'm doing. And um, yeah, just gradually I've become pretty comfortable with it. I'm not really shy around people, but for some reason the camera just uh, freaked me out. Just had no experience with uh, talking to a camera, you know. Dude, some people, some folks are like that. It, it's really yeah. interesting. And then some folks just gravitate towards it. Uh, but I, I think no matter what, I think the lesson here is like, obviously you had that struggle and you just kept doing it and made a commitment to do it. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if you listen to Rich Dad Poor Dad. I, I'm a big fan of Robert Kiyosaki uh, for multiple yeah. reasons. But like I joke to my wife all the time about him. I'm like, if Robert Kiyosaki with his terrible gravelly voice can be a world famous podcaster, anybody can do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, so like just keep the perspective of like, you know, don't, don't, don't count yourself short uh, with all of these ideas and things that you think you will, will not help you go over that edge or go over the right. fence and jump out. Yeah. 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 That rich dad, poor bad book. Uh, somebody gave that to me when I was about 20 or 21. And yeah, it was, 
it was kind of life-changing. I don't follow Kiyosaki very often. Someone else in a while, he pops up on YouTube and I'll watch a little bit. But uh, yeah, that sort of thing of changing from a mindset of like scarcity to abundance and, and concentrating on um, investing in assets and, and, and that sort of thing was, you know, that was just a whole different world to me. So that, yeah, I, I, I do definitely give that guy a lot of credit. I don't know what he's doing now, but, <laughs> but so, I think that book so, was great. Yeah, but he's just buying more gold and silver with his hot okay. wife and uh, Bitcoin <laughs> as well. Hawaii. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. he's hilarious. Yeah, um, yeah the, the power of video, I think, is is really amazing. You know, because I can't remember the, the statistics, but the amount of video that people watch is just insane. Or just on YouTube or LinkedIn. And like I said, my videos aren't especially good quality, but I learn a little bit and just just put it out there, like it's less than 1% of people are putting videos out there. I mean, it's probably like one in a thousand, I would bet, or, or maybe even fewer. But uh, sometimes the video doesn't have to be great, but just the fact that you're talking about that topic, like somebody might not even watch the video, like, th like they could go to my YouTube channel and see these hundred crappy videos and maybe they don't watch any of them. They don't know they're crappy, but, <laughs> but uh, they, they might see me as an expert because I've talked about all these different topics and um, it, it has led to a lot more opportunities. I mean, I think you commented on a video. I was just eating lunch and talking about uh, how much money you can make replacing toilets, <laughs> which yeah. I don't like to do. But yeah, so uh, it was awesome. I, I, and they're <laughs> cathartic, uh, honestly. Like the, when you, watching people, watching other people do stuff is cathartic. So the one that I thought, another one I'd bring up that everybody should go check out is like Cole replaced. Um, this old, I think it was cedar in the control joints of a driveway mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was cathartic to watch because you got to see oh, okay. the whole process and it was just like, oh, okay. I mean, how often do you get to watch that? I don't know. So I think there's a lot of value yeah. in, in stuff like that that people don't even don't even realize. So on the topic of value, how do you, how did you how did you figure out how much to charge? How do you how, ah. do you, how do you how do you value and start figuring out that time? That's always one of the big problems is people are like, am I charging too little, too much in the middle? Where should I be at? Right. Yeah. Um, that's one of the big things. Like you were, you mentioned Austrian economics and um, subjective value. I think is a, a big a big concept of that. That value is sort of in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and the value of something is well, in monetary terms, is what somebody will pay for it. You know, I mean, just that simple. So. I think when I, when I first started out my first company having employees, part of where I went wrong was in, in, in trying to be too, um, too cheap, you know, trying to compete by being the lowest price mm. and also by being somewhat ignorant of some overhead costs and things that caught up. And <laughs> by the time I figured it out, I've got, you know, six months or a year of those costs built up and so on. And, and in hindsight, I should have like doubled or tripled my prices, to be honest. Wow. And, and I probably still would have gotten some work. Yep. Because part of the problem was I was I was winning like 80 or 90 percent of the bids that I would go on, you know, or, or the bids that I would submit, which is I mean, that, that's not a, not actually a good sign. It's not you know, a big. But to a beginner, you think, wow, I'm winning all these jobs. Well, and the percentage I've always I'm heard the cheapest is, person. Yeah. The percentage I've always heard is 50 percent is you, you don't want yeah. to win more than 50 percent. I don't know if you would agree, but yeah. Yeah. Now. now I, yeah. Now I, I think. Yeah. For 50 or lower. For sure. You know, a lot of people say like two out of five, which would be 40, mm -hmm. 40%. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of it, I, I started paying more attention instead of to like being the cheapest person or even 
I started paying a little more attention to market rates at first, you know, looking up different things. You can buy cost books on the internet or, uh, you know, where they do annual surveys of, of companies and what, what do these different activities cost for labor and materials. And you can have a multiplier for your area. But again, that's sort of your, you're still sort of competing based on price. So I started learning to, to present my value. And a lot of this I learned from other companies, you know, with the remodeling companies that I used to work for, they, a lot of their big thing was like cleanliness because mm. that was one of the most frequent complaints from, from customers is like, well, I have these other contractors in here and they made a mess and they trampled my flowers and, you know, put cigarette butts in, <laughs> on my lawn yeah. and stuff like that, or, you know, nails in the driveway, all these kinds of things. And so that, that was my first sort of uh, value add was, was to tell them, well, I work really cleanly and I, I took some pictures of, you know, zip wall systems that you can, you can put up, you know, the spring loaded poles and plastic and zippers that you can, you know, control dust or just if you're changing a door or a window, you know, keep the wind from blowing in and out and uh, those kinds of things. And then I just learned little by little to sort of um, just to spend a little more time getting to know people, uh, each individual customer and try to figure out just kind of empathetically, like what are their, what are their personal values? Mm -hmm. You know, do, do they value more communication? Do they want, do they want to have a video chat with me every day? Um, or, or do they, you know, just what, whatever, whatever they value, it's, it's not all, it's not all the same for each person, I think. And how, do, how do you pull that out of them? Is, do you have a, do you have a checklist or do you just kind of have, I don't really. And, and being that I'm kind of operating solo, I, I just sort of do it intuitively. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if I think I would have to systematize it somewhat, if I, if I actually had a company with, you know, salespeople and so on, but <clears throat> there are probably some uh, resources out there for that. I'm trying to remember. I've read so many books. They all just kind of uh, uh, turn into a blob in my head, just a blob <laughs> of information, you know, but, uh, but yeah, uh, there, I think uh, if you look up things, yeah, subjective value. Um, I can't remember the title of the book, but yeah, anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, I think the way to sell. Um, yeah. And it just depends, you know, like with some comp, like uh, oftentimes with subcontractors, working for a general contractor, of course, safety is a big thing. You know, any company that doesn't have to, their safety stuff in, in line is, is out. But um, yeah, just millions of different, different things. And, and, and it changes a lot too. That, that, that's part of the trouble is sometimes when I think I have somebody pegged mm -hmm. in the initial sales meeting, I, I, I used to ask people, you know, I used to do what you're, what you're, what you're saying and, and try to figure out what, what's, what's your priority, you know, or, or to say these things, you know, out, out of these things, you know, cleanliness and quality and timeliness, which is your, your top. But I find that what people say and, and how they actually act later in, in the moment is not the same. Interesting. You know, often. Uh, so I just kind of gauge it just, just based on their behavior, you know, how, how they respond. Um, I, don't, I don't even ask those questions anymore. Yeah. I, I just, I've, Honestly, found them kind of useless, but, and also the, just things change in different contexts, you know, the context of time. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and if you're doing those fundamental things that you talked about, uh, a clean job site, uh, a safe job site, um, uh, communicating, maybe testing different communication styles out and, and then just feeling it all out as you go. But if you're, if you have that base of fundamentals, that probably tackles it for you without having to maybe ask those kind of questions and, and, you know, in, the, in sort of that True. weird mechanical way. True. Yeah. And some of it's also 
a little bit of like screening because like I've set up uh, a handyman website, agileremodeling.com. Uh, nice. it's, it's, it's pretty thorough. You know, I've, I've been adding stuff to it little by little over the past couple of years. I think there's like 25 pages or something. And there's like one page for each of the surrounding five or six cities where I live, you know, so that when people search like handyman near me, you know, it'll pop up for those cities. Uh, but part of it's like, I, I've been pretty transparent about like, I have a list of 10 frequent tasks and what they typically cost, you know, your results may vary, you know, kind of that, that disclaimer just in case, but, yep. um, and I don't do a whole lot of hourly rate work, but I, I do post an hourly rate because sometimes it's appropriate. And generally the people who care about the hourly rate will see it and say it's too high and not even call me. Mm -hmm. So like, I've already sort of pre-screened a lot of people out. Mm -hmm. And I can tell like when someone calls and says, how much do you charge or what's your rate? I can tell that's not my customer. Like, yep. Just if right off the first bat, you know? If their first question, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I might, I might be wrong occasionally, but almost without fail, that's, that's not going to be my customer. You know, it would that. be a waste of time to meet with that person. Yeah. So I just, I tell them and I tell them, you can look on my website and blah, blah, blah. And, and then generally, you know, five minutes later, someone else calls who's, uh, you know, sort of sees my value or has already been reading through my website and they're telling me about me. You know, they're telling me why they want me. What, what would you say to somebody who says, Cole, why would you put your prices out there like that? Now everybody's going to be able to undercut you. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that I think that it might not be the best advice for a, a big company or for one that has like a full time, a full time sales team, mm -hmm. you know, because th there can be it can be a lot more subjective. But I'm just sort of working in a very small niche. Um, and I think it works for me. Uh, it's hard to say, though, that it, that it would scale, you know, to uh, to a larger company. Because uh, I think I think you have to sort of how your prices fluctuate a bit more uh, with the market, and I am kind of going back pretty often to uh, revise some of those things that I had posted. Oh, and especially with inflation, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And th and there's some things I I was initially much more ambitious with the transparency. I was thinking like every time I posted, say a project, like here's a bathroom remodel, and here's what the budget was. But then I was thinking, well, you know, a year from now. That, that might not be right, you know, and so on. So I didn't go quite that far. I just picked some real common tasks. Like a funny thing that I've never done until last year. That's uh, right. Cleaning. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I did a few of those because back in the day, I did some uh, apartment rehabs and insurance work, you know, so we, we changed the floor. You have to, you know, pull and reset the toilet. But uh, uh, what is it? Um, laundry dryer vents. You know, those, the, the, oh. the little tube that comes out the back and sometimes mm -hmm. they're real long and convoluted and, you know, go all circuitous routes. And um, I've been cleaning those. And so I've just had a set price, basically two hours. If it's, you know, 15 feet long or less, which is what the laundry uh, dryer manufacturers recommend. And it's weird. I'd, I'd never done it before, but I think the tools to do it cost like, well, if you already have a drill, you can just buy some attachments, you know, these little tent poles that connect together and a brush. And uh, like, it's almost initially I thought, well, no, this isn't worth doing because there's, there's a company in the local area that just does that. And they have a website that just, you know, markets to that. So they probably get tons of leads for it, but I get some. And it's uh, a lot of times I've found with those, with those little things that are almost too much of a pain in the butt to do is sometimes it's like a test. You know, the customer wants to hire you for a couple hours and see how you how you work together or, if you actually provide the value that they think they see in your website or, you know, how you dealt with them on the phone or something. 
And a lot of times those little things that are like two hours and maybe not terribly profitable, you know, do turn into larger projects. It's, it's surprising how often that happens. Yeah. And it, even when I'm not really trying to show off, you know, just communicating with people, uh, I, I'd say like, like three things. And I think I got this from the sweaty startup guy. I forgot his name, Nick. But uh, basically his, his thing was with, with these small, you know, solo or small crew uh, service companies that basically if you just simply answer the phone <laughs> for one thing, which isn't too hard to do when you're starting a company because you're not getting that many calls. I mean, it gets harder now. But if you answer the phone, if you provide your estimates in a timely manner and you can start the work in it and finish it in a timely manner, like those are obvious, but there's so many people that fail at all three of those. You know, that if you can get even one or two or especially all three of those, like you're really going to impress people. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and it's, it's even easier to do when you start out, I think, in my opinion, you know, because you're just not that busy. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah. That, that, that's sort of in my ethos. And now it's getting hard to keep up with those, you know, to, to say no to the 90 out of those 100 people that contact me a week. But yeah, uh, I, I know the answer is probably no to this, but if you were to grow, because I think you're such a good case study for people who are listening of like, he's worked with other worked for other big firms and then kind of scaled back down for the freedom part of it and, and clearly uh, is proving his value to uh, customers and, and, and developing a, a very successful uh, solo business. But if you were to scale it, what kind of tips would you give yourself if you were, if you were to convince yourself, like, how would you do it this time? Maybe learning all you've learned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- I think I'm definitely this time around, even though I've, well, I'm not ruling out the possibility of scaling, but mm-hmm. just not trying to do it yet. But I think um, this time around, I've, I've actually been sort of systematizing more. Whereas the first time around I was uh, kind of coming up with, you know, say a, a, a closeout document or something. I was coming up at the end of the project, you know, and uh, a lot of times it's just, you Google something and copy something and slap your company header on there, you know. Uh, whereas this time, having more experience, I've 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 been more aware of uh, systematizing. And in terms of, I'm just one one guy, but I can use things like like I don't. In hindsight, I probably should have hired somebody to do my website, but at first I had some free time. And I just bought a template for a hundred bucks and used it to make a website. You know, you just fill in the blanks and replace their pictures what, and so on. What website and, uh, software did you use to make it? Uh, this time was WordPress. Okay. Uh, another one that I've, that I used for a different website uh, before was Squarespace. I think that's mm-hmm. even easier. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know it's super advertised and some people, people don't go for advertised things, but that's one of the easiest, you know, I'd say balance of like low cost and high quality and easy to, um, make and edit. They've just got some really sleek templates, but I wanted to, uh, I've got some little strange side hustles and, you know, trying to do like, um, full, uh, product fulfillment and little odd odds and ends. So with WordPress, I can, I can, uh, add on a bunch of websites without adding on more fees, you know, cause you can basically, uh, have a big package, um, and fit a whole bunch of websites under one account. So, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, I've, I've gotten more into, uh, this time around, even though I'm a one one man show, into using like uh, CRM software, customer relationship management, and I've tried a few different things. There's a pretty cool one I tried last year called Market. It's spelled strangely, M A R K A T E, and it's a uh, kind of it's kind of like well, most people are familiar with like uh, 
House Call Pro, I think it's called. There, there's some others that are that are geared toward bigger firms uh, that that you can use. Um, you know, pretty much all you store all your documents and process them through it. And you know, as soon as somebody contacts you, you get their name, address, email, phone number logged in, and then from there you sort of set up a workflow. Um, right now, I'm using just a um, a really simple system uh, from Square. You know, those little white square yep. things, like if you go to a craft fair or whatever. Yep. Yeah. So I've, I've got that. And they actually have a pretty good online system that that includes, if you want it, for free, actually. Or, or I should say for no additional charge. Nothing's free. Mm-hmm. But, um, they have a scheduling thing called appointments uh, that works just fine for me. I, I'm surprised how many people will hire me. And and I've never talked to them. I've never emailed them or, or anything. So that kind of goes against what I'm saying of figuring, <laughs> you know, even having to figure out someone's value, but they've already looked at my website and decided yeah. like, I trust this guy enough that they're going to put skin in the game. They're going to pay me my minimum charge to go meet them to, for, you know, to, to work for them. Like whatever it is, say cleaning, cleaning mm-hmm. their dryer vent or something. Yeah. I have a list of those 10 tasks that they can just choose from and they can see my availability and make a down payment. And I tried doing it without the down payment, but I got tons of spam. So <laughs> that's another thing I found is like, I find that, Customers who will put skin in the game, again, are those are my customers. The ones who are like, well, yeah, I want you to make an, hold, hold the appointment for me, but I don't want to make a down payment yet. You know, it's like, well, if I'm committed, you know, then you need to be committed too. And, you know, back and forth sort of. Um, but yeah, so I've, I found those, those two market and now I'm using Square just because it was a simpler and, and actually there's no monthly fees and so on. So it worked out better for me. But um. It's pretty good things like with um, online documents, as far as, you know, e-signatures, there's a bunch of different, you know, DocuSign and probably dozens of other companies that do that. Uh, virtual meetings, you know, like like we're doing now. I have started doing some, uh, like, yeah, I have like, I don't know, like five of these different video conferencing things. But uh, sometimes if it's in my neighborhood, I'll just stop by on the way home or on the way out in the morning or something, make an appointment. But a lot of times it's a little out of the way and, I feel like if I can seal a deal quickly, you know, through a, through a video conference, that's been a, a game changer over the past year. Mm-hmm. Like I said, just getting not only me getting more comfortable with videos, but everybody else too. You know, everybody has Zoom on their phone now or or some other software. And and I've been doing um like people move move out of their house or or they're they're going to buy a house and they haven't closed on it yet, so they'll 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 kind of show me around like like hey, and I tell them, oh, can you can you uh, show me underneath there, you know. Uh, show me behind there, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes on a, on a video call, you can, you can save yourself a lot of time, you know, not, not having to drive, not having to actually go and, and meet people. And yeah, same thing. Like that's led to a lot of, um, a lot of help. Uh, I, I do have a, a virtual assistant that helps me. I mean, it's actually a person, but just over the internet, yeah. you know, I, I've never actually even met her in person. And she helps me do some some weekly tasks as far as you know cleaning up my paperwork, and I have also a a, a similar arrangement with a bookkeeper. They're actually local, but uh, which is odd because they they do it all virtually. So like you can you can either mail them your receipts every week or you can scan them and email them to them, and then you know they've they've got bookkeepers and a CPA on staff and so on. Uh, so all of those things sort of help me to scale my solo business, um, you know, with all these sort of virtual tools and. Uh, so on but yeah as far as if i do want to hire employees I, th- I think a lot of it comes down to like having more more um realistic procedures in place 
you know, and, and, and already having systems in place. I really like that. I really like that you started off with systematizing. It, it is so important to do it, but, but also not make it so that it uh, constrains you. I think there's got to be a certain level of looseness as you, as you work out all the kinks and everything. So sure. Cole, Cole, it sounds like you're primed and ready to grow. If you, if you were to convince yourself to do it and take away some of that awesome freedom. Oh yeah. Now. <laughs> I, I was going to say another thing I've, I've realized just uh, sort of personal growth is I think at first, when I first started a company, I wanted to find other people like me, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's where I was kind of hiring friends that I had worked with before who we were, we had similar personalities and similar skills. And now I think I would do nothing against them, but I think I would do the opposite and try to find people that have complementary skills, you know, that have the skills that I yeah. don't have. Maybe I would try to find like a stronger salesman. Uh, Cause that's not, not really my strength. I like you probably <laughs> intuited, you know, that I'm, I'm a bit lazy about the sales part. I just sell enough so that I can, get to work, you know, Yep. And, yep. but I've, I've definitely realized that the value of sales, you know, that's a, that's a big thing. And just, yeah, just having people with a variety of skills, you know, that, that, that can kind of uh, pick up the slack from other people kind of thing. I think it shows I, I a huge, want to, I don't want to put it that way. It's more of a positive thing. No, no, I know what you mean. I, I think I'm reading it as hundred percent positive. That, that's what my business partner and, and a lot of the folks that I, I, I hire, do is they fill in the gaps that I, that I lack because nobody's perfect. So I, I think it shows a level of confidence and maturity um, that it takes a while for people to sort of get there as they start their yeah. businesses. One of the last big topics I wanted you to talk about was maybe kind of um, this is a hurdle that I think it, it sometimes it kills the small businesses from the get go is they get really tangled up with lawyers and, and producing these crazy, scary looking contracts instead of more fair <laughs> right. contracts. How did you tackle that part of it? Did you, and, and then also even setting up, like, I always tell people like, it's very easy actually to go to your secretary of state, um, yeah. you know, and, and just set up an LLC. Like it, it, it's not this giant process and you, you don't have to have a lawyer right away. How did you do it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The first time around, well, both times I've set it up myself because um, Washington state, they have a pretty simple system. I'm not against people working under the table, by the way, but, uh, you know, if you want to do bigger projects and, and such, you're going to need insurance and, and customers are going to want that. And They're going uh, to want you're it. going to limit, you're going to limit your opportunities. And it's also like, if you end up in court, you're automatically going to be wrong, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So there, there are reasons not to work under the table, but I don't really fault anybody. That's, I think that's a good way to get started. You know, that's how I started out on the weekends and so on. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I know it. One of the challenges is it varies so much from state to state. You know, like uh, I know a, a handyman that I follow on YouTube works in California, and he says that they have a $500 limit on on what they can bid, like to a customer for a project. So a lot of times, and I, I don't work in California, luckily, it's not quite so restrictive here. But a lot of times they have to bid they have to bid like multiple $500 projects for one customer. You know what I mean? And they have to like like we're going to do $500 today and then come back tomorrow and do, you know, quit early and come back tomorrow and do $500 or on a separate contract. Uh, it's just goofiness. And there's a lot of restrictions there. It's really hard to get a general contractor uh, mm-hmm. license and stuff, which, which wouldn't open you up to bigger, bigger budgets. But in Washington, it's pretty easy. I don't, I don't remember if they did even like a background check or anything. It's just a matter of filling out forms right. and, and paying the fees and doing them in the right sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's like six or seven steps, you know, yeah. Register with this uh, secretary, your business name with the secretary of state. Uh, I can't remember the exact sequence, but get, get uh, 
bond and insurance and then take your bond and insurance to the Department of Labor and Industries and get your general contractor license. And they ask you some questions, you know, your work history. I don't know if they verify anything, but uh, I didn't have any problems. I mean, it was just, it was just a matter of time. It took like two weeks, you know, because of the steps and some of them, some of them you submit and they take a couple of days to approve or to send you your document that you need for the next step. And how about your contracts? Um, I know you're doing some smaller work. So like, is, is there a contract even for the little tiny stuff or is it just a yeah. handshake and a smile? Well, my first time around, I, uh, I, I think I had worked for several companies before. So I had like copies of theirs contracts, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I took parts that made sense. But if I recall, it was like five pages long. And, and well, we were doing fairly big projects at that time, actually. Yeah. But some of the stuff was not applicable. And some of it I didn't understand. I didn't even know what indemnification was, uh-huh, you know, yeah. so like, you know, when you're sitting with a customer and, and, and you're, you're talking through the steps, like you know, make sure they understand everything before they sign it. Oh no, I don't even know my own contract. Uh, yeah. So eventually I hired a, a, an actual construction lawyer. And I, if I recall, he just charged me 250 bucks yeah. and he gave me two, two contracts. One, he said like, this is good for about under a thousand dollar budget. And then another that he said is up good for, you know, up to 10,000 or maybe more. And, you know, come back if, if you want to do a bigger project and you should probably, you know, if you're doing hundred thousand and more projects, you should probably have a lawyer review each one of those contracts possibly if, mm-hmm. if they vary greatly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, now a lot of times when I'm doing like less than, you know, a day, a day or less then I have just a real simple contract. Um, I think in the state, Washington state, if it's over a thousand dollars, then you have to provide them with like a, what do you say? A lien. Oh, uh, Oh no. Uh, like a, the right to lean paperwork okay. that, that says, you know, well, I'm a registered contractor with the, the state's holding my bond and you can, you can make a claim against that bond. And if you don't pay, then I can put a lien against your property and stuff. But if it's under $1,000, that's not required here. So that's kind of what, I just have a very simple, you know, it's very simple agreement that uh, for stuff like that. Yeah. And then if it gets bigger, then I whip out that uh, additional page and just tack it on the back. Sure thing. Yeah. yeah. That was great. That's very startupy. I mean, it sounds like, you know, like the $250 fee and, and, and working, fi- finding old examples and, and parsing and picking and then having it reviewed. I, th- I think that's honestly probably the best, most flexible and succinct kind of way to do it. Um, one last question I like to ask everybody, Cole, is, uh, knowing what you know now, and if you could go all the way back in time to when you first started on that framing crew, what oh, yeah. would you what what piece of advice would you give yourself? Uh, I think I, I touched on it a bit. You know, talking about the value of sales and marketing, and, and coming into those th- those values later, late, quite late in life. I mean, I'm already in my 40s now, and just you know, just started learning about that stuff. But mm-hmm. I think if I had if I had um, been, been more apt about, about presenting my value. Uh, I would have been better at getting raises and things. I remember, you know, the first company I started out with, when they started, they were quite informal and they didn't have, you know, regular reviews. Like if you wanted a raise, you had to ask for it. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't very good at asking for a raise, you know, so I remember being quite frustrated by that. And, and, and that kind of continued for quite a while, you know, until I, until I started realizing, well, I have to get better at presenting what I do because it's not just what you do it's it's, can can you sell it Mm -hmm. you know and uh I think that that's that's one of the things it seems like everything I see online these days as far as you know get rich quick schemes and stuff that's geared toward kids is is all about sales but I think of course you got to develop some other skills 
because <laughs> a lot of it's just teaching people to sell and te- you know so on there's this like pyramid scheme of yeah this guy teaches these people that teach these people that teach these people but uh i do think there's actually some value in that stuff you know of of, of learning uh, like we were talking about subjective value and, and how to how to negotiate i guess is the uh the proper term that's that's what i wish i had learned a lot sooner nice i love it yeah. uh cole this has been an absolute pleasure i'm so glad uh we could connect today if people want to connect with you uh, for your handyman business, um, where can they where can they find you? Where can they follow you? Oh yeah, I have two websites. I have colechestnut.com, which is basically just kind of a blog and some some stuff about uh, consulting and some of the bigger projects that I work on. Uh, some of the stuff I do lately, I can't put on there because of NDAs and stuff. But uh, I have another website, agileremodel.com, and some corresponding uh, YouTube channel. Instagram. I'm not real big on social media. Oh, LinkedIn. You could hit me up on LinkedIn. I've started posting more on there recently. It's an annoying website to browse, but <laughs> again, I think it's one of those important things. And even it's kind of over, overwhelmingly populated with professionals and recruiters and job seekers. But I think there's a lot, a lot of room for people like in, in more labor oriented jobs that they can really stand out on there and, uh, you know, find, find a lot of opportunities and other people to work with to help grow your business or to, uh, to help you out with these other things like, you know, sales and marketing and stuff like that. I learn a lot from that platform. Yeah. A hundred percent. They need a laugh react. I think that's the thing that's missing out yeah. for me and you, right? We're, we're right. trying to make yeah. jokes on there. Rick. Where's a laugh react? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, kind of posing on there and yeah, not, not wanting to uh, comment any, anything that might be offensive or especially funny. Yeah. Just in case somebody doesn't get it or, yeah. yeah. Hilarious. Cole, thanks again for being on the show. It was, it was a pleasure yeah. to have you on. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Lance. It's nice to talk to you. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk right. soon. Yeah.